Jeremiah 32 and 33 was where we're going to be. But Amanda made the comment that quarantine comes from that Italian word that means 40 days. So before I really dig into it this morning, let me ask this question. We can have some feedback if you want. What have you done the past 40 days? What are some things you guys have done the past 40 plus days? Anybody? What are some things you guys have done? Anybody? Sit at home. All right. Anybody else sit at home? All right. We got a few people. Cook. All right. What else? What are, what are some things you guys have done? Gain weight and ate. Eight, eight, and eight some more. Gain what? Anybody gain weight? Five or more pounds. Ten or more pounds. Fifteen or more. Do we, should we? Oh, there it is. Very good. Very good. I have an elliptical in my office if you need it, Mary. I do. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, what else? What are some things you've done the past 40 days? Brother Allen. What? He grew a beard. I've been trying. This still doesn't work. Uh, what else? Anybody else? Made a TV, TV stand dog kennel. What? Made a TV stand dog kennel. Made a TV stand slash dog kennel. Awesome. What else? Still went to work. Still went to work. <laughs> Amen. What? What? She made a home gym. Yes, she did. She did good at that. What else? A couple more. I'm bald. You're bald? I'm bald. All right. Kevin is bald. Is Ryan bald? No. Joanna's bald. Not yet. Not yet. Joanna's bald. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, how many have been doing projects around the house? I think a lot of people. We've used this time to do some projects around the house. We've been doing some around ours, the landscaping, and we still have a lot more to do. But I started thinking about earlier this week, again, quarantine comes from that Italian word that means 40 days or 40 plus days. And as Amanda said, it's really, it's rooted in scripture because they spent 40 days uh, to pray for purification, for testing. And, I, and as I've thought about it throughout this whole COVID-19 process with not being able to come together as a church, maybe God has used this and is using this to purify his church. Something I've been thinking about over and over. And, and even this past week, probably Monday or Tuesday, I got convicted because, yeah, I've been doing a lot of projects. I've been eating a lot, as many of you, uh, working out every once in a while. Uh, I've been doing a lot of different things. But I guess the question is, have I allowed God to speak to me? And I know it hasn't been ideal. It's not ideal me preaching in front of a camera for the past six weeks. I know it's not ideal for you having to sit at home and your kids are going crazy and trying to watch the services. I know it's not ideal. I know we'd rather be in person together, congregating with one another. Who, who would what, rather be doing that? I think all of us, right? That's why you guys are here. I think we've got 80-some people here today, which is awesome. We've got several people watching online. I think all of us would rather be doing those things. But the thing is, we have to realize that, as I've been saying, that the church isn't just the building, right? The church is the people. And I believe that God still wants to use the people. I, I believe we're going to come back together in the church building, but he still wants to use the people. And, and the point I'm trying to get at is this, that I think sometimes we can complain so much, right? We can grumble so forget and fail to do what God has called us to do. Again, this hasn't been an ideal situation for anyone, and whether you think it's overblown or hyped up, it's beyond the point, it's beside the point, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, 
Have you truly allowed God to speak to you the past 40 plus days? You know, I've talked to several of you over the, the past several weeks and tried to encourage you with prayer. And I know some of you guys are getting very dis, uh, stressed out and discouraged and frustrated with this whole thing. of trust, of hope, of faith, of praise. So let me turn there, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there as my whatever flies away. It's okay. I don't need it. Jeremiah chapter 32. Let me read verse number one. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon, his army, besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in King Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. So Jeremiah is a Jew. He's an Israelite. And 
uh, I think the, the kingdom of Judah is about to be besieged uh, by another nation. They are about to lose control of all that they hold dear, of their life. They're about to lose control of, of, of their home. And Jeremiah has been shut up in prison. But the great thing about this is that no matter where we are, did you know that God is still there? If we're in prison, if we're in our homes, if we're quarantined, God is still there. God's presence is all around us. And that's the amazing thing, church. Again, Judah is on the verge of captivity. Babylon, uh, Babylon is, has laid siege on Jerusalem. Everything is falling apart at the seams. Does it sound familiar, right? Kind of like what we're going through or maybe what we're going through. But life can be very confusing. The circumstances, the, the complications, even the commands, all can be confusing. And what God is about to ask Jeremiah is, I guess, for a word, perplexing. <laughs> perplexing basically means kind of bewildered or you have no idea what, what God is doing. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered, like, God, what are you doing? Anybody? Anybody honest today? All right, we got three honest people. Very good. Uh, I've wondered that. There are times where it seems like everything is, you know, working out, and I understand that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that uh, things are working out the way that they should. There are other times where I'm like, God, what in the world is going on? I, I have no clue what, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to teach me. That's what Jeremiah is going through. He has no idea what God is trying to do because here's what Jeremiah is asked. Remember, Judah is about to be besieged, which means their land is about to be taken over by the Babylonians. And in verse number six, what happens or what is happening is this, that God is asking Jeremiah to buy some land. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to buy some land, but how many would want to buy some land like you know, somewhere like Iraq or Syria or Iran, anybody? We got like one person over there. He doesn't count. Nobody in their right mind would do that, right? You wouldn't do that because it's not good profit. It's not good sense with your money. So what God is asking Jeremiah to do in verse number six, he says, I want you to buy land. And I'm sure Jeremiah is like, um, Lord, do you know that we're one, I'm in prison, so it's not necessarily ideal that I buy land. But, but two, we're about to be taken over. The country is about to be lost. Why would you want me to buy this land? Again, this is a very confusing situation for Jeremiah. And when God shuts us up in the prison of our quarantine of his purposes, we can expect him to require some strange things from us. He's not doing any of this to confuse us, but listen, rather to accomplish his purposes. I like how one preacher explained it. He said, there are times where we find ourselves caught up in the vortex of God's eternal plan with things going on in and around us that seem to make no sense at all. Have you ever been there? Yes. We know that God is in control, but we have no idea what he is up to. And sometimes that sense of the unknown deeply bothers us. And honestly, it deeply bothers me as well. 
And when God is asking Jeremiah this strange, perplexing request, what we're faced with is kind of the title of the message this morning is the perplexity of faith. The perplexity of faith. Perplexing is an adjective that means completely baffling or very puzzling. Perplexity as a noun means the inability to deal with or understand something complicated or unaccountable. You know, I'm pretty confident that this was a perplexing situation for Jeremiah. It sounds like a massive act of faith by land in a land that you're about to lose. Makes no sense. Jeremiah, though, is willing to bank his confidence on God. Why? Because the same God that has seen Jeremiah through in the past is the same God that Jeremiah believes is going to see him through in the present and the future. You know, I think everyone here that is here today or watching online believes that God is in control. But I guess the question is, do we surrender to that? I don't think there's anyone here that doesn't say, Pastor, I, I, I don't believe that God is in control. We all believe that. But do we live it? Are we actively living like God is in control? And honestly, many times over in my life, especially these past six plus weeks, I haven't actively been living like God was in control. I've been actively living like I was in control. And Jeremiah is confused and rightly so. And again, it's, it's good to have confidence in God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, but where is our confidence in God leading us? You see, if we have true confidence in God, and I'm not trying to just point fingers and, and make everyone mad because really this message is really more for me than anyone else. If we truly believe that God is in control, if we truly have confidence in God, then we would continue to grow despite the circumstances around us, right? No matter if we're quarantined for the next six years, we could still grow because our confidence is not in the circumstances around us. Our confidence is in the Christ within us, right? That's what it should be. And again, I just want to challenge us this morning as we come together. And Jeremiah, he's been asked this request of God, buy some land. And I'm not going to read all the passage for sake of time, but it's a great passage. Read it. Jeremiah 32 and 33. He's asked to buy this land while he's in Finally, he, he, he relinquishes control and, and submits to God. And then verse number 16, we get to this. We see a prayer of Jeremiah. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase into Beirut, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and thy stretched out arm. And this, this, is, this is key, this phrase. There is nothing too hard for thee. Let's just, let's just all say that together. Ready? There is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing too hard for God. Do you know that? Do you realize that? That even COVID-19 or whatever crisis, this, you know, massive killer bee that's coming our way as well. Uh, there is nothing too hard for God. Nothing. And that's where Jeremiah gets to as he's praying this prayer to God. But here's what we see in this prayer. It's a prayer of bewilderment, yes. But it's a prayer of praise and a prayer of hope. 
And here's the main point of this message this morning. If you're taking notes, that's great. If you're not, it's okay too. I don't have notes for you this morning to, to download or anything, but here it is. Praise frames prayer when promises are perplexing. It's kind of a tongue twister. Let me say that again. Praise frames prayer when promises are perplexing. What do I mean? You see, this is a perplexing, it's a astounding, it's a confusing situation. And yet through it, Jeremiah is still praising God for who he is, for what he has done, for what he is about to do. Many times we pray to God, listen, like we actually know him, but sadly, many times we pray to God the way that we want him to be, right? God, this is what you need to do. You need to answer my request because I am telling you to answer it. But what if that's not God's will? What if that's not God's purposes? Look, I struggle with that. Many times over when I pray to God, I'm praying not necessarily like I know him, but God, you need to surrender to my control. You need to do what I'm asking you to do because I think this is best for me. Anyone ever prayed things like that? Yeah, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, when we pray, God, you have to do this. If you don't, then what, what's going on? And what we see in the next several passages, the next several verses, we see an anatomy of Jeremiah's praise-filled yet perplexing prayer. And the first thing is this. We must acknowledge that nothing is impossible for God. That's good. Jeremiah comes to the conclusion. He says, you know what? You've created everything, the heavens and the earth. Ha <laughs> ha, Lord God, there is nothing too hard for thee. Church, I don't know if this excites you, and I know you guys realize that I don't get too excited when I preach sometimes, but there is nothing too hard for God. Did you realize that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's what Jeremiah is praying. As was often the case with Jeremiah, a testing experience of doubt followed a triumphant experience of faith. Having obeyed God's command by faith, Jeremiah was now wondering how God would ever give him this property. He did the right thing by the best way to handle it. To be honest about your feelings. And as Jeremiah considers the work of God's hands, as he considers his majesty, his power, and his glory, he realizes that there is nothing too hard for God. Think about things that are impossible for us. And that list is limitless, right? There are a lot of things that are impossible for me to do, but there is nothing that is impossible for God. There is nothing that is impossible for God. What is something for me, listen, is nothing for God. What is something for me, which means what is a big deal for me is not a big deal for God because nothing is too hard for him. I know you guys have been under quarantine, but it's okay to get excited at church, even when we're outside, guys. It, honestly, it's okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we must acknowledge that nothing is impossible for God. The second thing is this. In verses 18 and 19, we must acknowledge that God is faithful and just. Look, God is just and sin has consequences, but God is also faithful. It's like that song. I love that song. I, I, I've seen you do it again, Lord. 
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence that you've never failed me yet. And Jeremiah has established God's power to do all things by talking about his power over creation. And that's what he does in verse number 18. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children. After them, the great, the mighty, the Lord God of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in works. So he continues to talk about God's greatness, God's majesty, that God is the God of grace, of love, of mercy, of provision. He is the God of miracles and power. He is the God who moves heaven and earth and suspends the very laws of nature. So we must realize that God is all powerful, that nothing is impossible for him. We must acknowledge that God is faithful, that God is just. And then finally, we must acknowledge that God redeems. Verses 20 through 23, God was reminding Jeremiah, and Jeremiah sees this as he prays this prayer, that God had always redeemed Israel from their past disasters. And for the New Testament believer today, this added note of praise is that Jesus paid the heavy price for our sins on the cross. And because of that, Jesus is our redemption. You see, the essence of Jeremiah's prayer is summed up in verses 24 and 25. Behold the mounts, they that come unto the city to take it, and he is given unto the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence. And what that thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for the money, and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And he challenges Jeremiah with the same thing that he had said in verse 17. Is anything hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? You see, what God does is he establishes some ground rules for Jeremiah. He was laying out his omnipotence to him. This time would not be forever. Their captivity would not be forever. It would end. And when it ended, they would return again. And, and for me, what I take from this is that this time of quarantine, yes, it's starting to end, but this will end. This will pass. And God has been faithful in the past, has been faithful in the present, will be faithful in the future. So I go back to that first question. What have we done with these past 40 days? You know, I, I'm anxiously excited to, to start reconvening and meeting. But, you know, I was telling someone earlier this week, if we had to extend this for another six to eight weeks for God's people to truly get it, then I'd be okay with it. I'm not praying that, but maybe these past 40 days we have been so focused on our own situation, focused on ourselves, complaining, grumbling. Why can't I get back to work? Why can't I do this? Why are we taking all these freedoms away? Instead of, all right, God, here I am. I'm listening. I want you to grow me. I want you to use me. I want to mature. I want to be more like you. But I think, sadly, and I'm not just talking for us, I'm talking about Christians all over the country and the world, that there's probably a lot that have 
their growth has declined. And that's not God's fault. That's on you. That's on me. That's, that's us. You see, even though we can't come together in person, the message is still going out, isn't it? I know we've had issues with technology, but the message is still there. And I know there's all kinds of distractions. Trust me, I get that. There's all kinds of distractions if we come in here again. We have to learn to eliminate those distractions. We have to learn to listen to the voice of God. And as Jeremiah, you know what? I don't understand this, Lord. I don't understand this bewilderment, this confusing question that you're challenging me with. But I'm going to listen to you. And as God is, is portraying his greatness and his omnipotence, in verse number 44, God is basically telling Jeremiah that, hey, you can take this to the bank. It's going to happen. You're going to return as a nation again. <coughs> and this leads to one of the greatest verses in the Bible on prayer, in my opinion. Jeremiah 33.3. It says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's such, such an amazing study. God promised that the nation of Israel, that they still had a bright future. So what can we learn from this story? That we must learn to bank on God's promises that he will never fail us or forsake us. And the only way that God's promises can ever fail is if God ceases to be God. And I'm here to tell you that that will not happen. That God will always be God. As Christians, too often we doubt God's ability to accomplish things in our lives. When life gets uncomfortable, when we feel like we're losing control, when things aren't going our way, we begin to wonder, why isn't God giving me what I'm asking for? And I'm sure some of you, again, have stumbled in your growth mightily over these past 40 plus days. But again, that's not God's fault. You know, on Wednesday in the message, if you listen to it, I asked kind of a challenging question at the end. I said, what if, what if, God's design for marriage wasn't to make you happy. Some of you are probably like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> what if it's not to make you happy? But what if it's not to give you the perfect mate? Again, check, right? What if God's design for marriage was to teach you to love like Christ, to forgive like Christ? What if God has given us this quarantine to teach us to turn our dependence fully on him? And yet some of us probably still haven't listened and still haven't gotten it? What if he gave us this to bring us back to him and closer to him? What if instead of complaining about the rules, the mandates, the freedoms being taken away, what if we started praying a prayer of praise to God that we can still hear his word? Think about your problems. You know, what are the things that keep you up at night? <coughs> There's probably a lot of things, right? But, is God greater than those things? Yes. Thanks, Susan. God is greater than any worry, any problem, any situation. Jeremiah is perplexed by God's request. He is perplexed by God's will. But that leads him to pray a prayer that immediately turns to praise. And I think of a passage that we've used countless times, Psalm 57.1. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, 
For my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. That's a psalm of David praying, God, I'm going to still trust in you. God, I'm going to still seek you. Hide me in the shadow of your wings until these calamities, until these uncertainties, until these perplexing situations pass me. Look, praise frames prayer when God's promises are perplexing. And here's, here's the, the whole core truth of it all. The school of confusion and perplexity graduates faithful people if they learn to pray. Because prayer begins with praise as its goal will always end in praise as its result. Let me say that again. Prayer that begins with its goal of praying, a prayer of praise as its goal instead of a prayer of, God, you got to do this for me. But think of the times that you prayed with a praise-filled attitude that, you know what, God, I don't understand this. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to believe that you're still in control, and I'm going to live like you're still in control. It probably led you to continue to praise, didn't it? And I guarantee you, it will. Praise frames prayer when God's promises are perplexing. Prayer that begins with praise as its goal will end in praise as its result.